Research Briefs podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Streveler, coming to you from the School of Engineering Education at Purdue University. The goal of Research Briefs is to expand the boundaries of engineering education research. In these podcasts, we'll speak to researchers about new theories, new methods, and new findings in engineering education research. My guest today is Dr. Jeremy London, Assistant Professor in the Department of Engineering Education at Virginia Tech and Director of the RISE Research Group, where RISE stands for Research's Impact in Society and Education. And today we've asked her to share her research on impact with us. This is the first uh, podcast that is being recorded since social distancing guidelines began. And so I want to assure our listeners that Jeremy is safely in her home in Virginia Mm -hmm. and I am safely in my home in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Um, You may hear some environmental sounds from our homes. Um, Most of the, the, I keep wanting to say impact instead of podcast, but I'm just going to keep going here. Okay. Most of the podcasts have been recorded over Zoom anyway, so this is not a big adjustment. Mm-hmm. at least in this part of our reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pleased that Jeremy is our first guest of this new reality. I think what Jeremy has to say is particularly relevant now. Um, she touches on ways to think about impact. And, and by impact, I mean, what, how does our work matter? Mm-hmm. Um, not impact like force. <laughs> And uh, certainly now more than ever, we want to do work that matters. Right. Um, and so this is particularly intriguing. And she'll also tell us a bit about how to keep ourselves motivated when the going gets rough. Mm-hmm. And I'll hear about that these days too. Mm-hmm. So welcome, Dr. Jeremy London, to Research Briefs. Oh, thanks, Ruth. I'm glad to be here. I am happy to have you. Um, as I told uh, Jeremy, I've been cr- making this list of people I want for future podcast guests, and she's been on that list for a long time. So I'm, I'm pleased that we can make this happen. Um, I like to begin by giving the listeners some context and a little bit about your own story. Um, so could you tell us a bit about how you came to study impact? Hmm, sure. Okay. So I'll say a little bit about briefly about my path to engineering ed, and then I'll say how that led me mm-hmm. to, to impact. So um, I started at Purdue in, um, as an undergrad in industrial engineering. And uh, in my first semester and first year, kind of in my free time, I would find myself um, either tutoring somebody or mentoring somebody or something related to education. And so I started to realize that um, education was like a becoming a passion of mine, even though I really enjoyed what I was studying with industrial engineering. And so I had a conversation with my freshman engineering professor, who was Dr. Bill Oaks. Um, and I said to him that I was thinking about switching. I was thinking about um, going to education, uh, changing my degree. Um, and so he shared some really critical advice which was exactly what I needed to hear at that time um, because I told him I liked both engineering and education. Um, and he told me, quote, it's easier for 
um, an engineer to become an educator than for an educator to become an engineer. And so if you like both, then stick with engineering and we'll find a way to weave in education. Um, and I really appreciated that I didn't have to make this sacrifice. And so he said, you know, there's a new program coming and you're too young for it now, but it's starting this year, um, an engineering education program. My face lit up and I was like, wow, you know, people had already merged these two things that I thought couldn't really come together. So that was actually the first year that the PhD, start, PhD program started at, at Purdue, the engineering ed program. So I was an undergrad at the time, um, but I ended up doing a undergraduate research experience in engineering ed my senior year. And I knew I wanted to get some industry experience, um, but I knew that somehow I would find my way back to engineering ed. So um, I worked at GE Healthcare for a little bit and then came back to Purdue to do my PhD in engineering education. Um, and so during that time, my first summer after um, after starting the PhD program, I worked at the National Science Foundation as an intern. Um, and during that time, that was uh, when particularly MOOCs was starting to come on the scene. So MOOC stands for Massive Open Online Courses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think yes, it's, been, yes, a while. it's right. been a while since I've used the acronym, but MOOCs were starting to come on the scene and things like Khan Academy were super popular. And so there were program officers at NSF that were trying to wonder how can they begin to tap into those types of resources and be more supportive of them because MOOCs was something that wasn't did wasn't at the time, uh, and I don't know if that's still the case, but wasn't um, supported by NSF funding. So it was it was other sources. So they were trying to figure out what are other ways that they can be able to um, support this type of learning. And so with that, we were trying to think about like how does a MOOC become a MOOC, or how does Khan Academy become a Khan Academy, a resource with hundreds or thousands of people from around the world using it. Um, and so that led me to study um, like the dissemination, the development and dissemination and sustainability plans of certain cyber learning resources. But that, that project was really the turning point in terms of impact, because after that project was over, I started to think about like, what does it mean for anything to have an impact? or any research to have an impact. Um, maybe for online resources, we may look at the number of users or downloads or whatever, but that can't be the same for everything. And so that was particularly important in the context of publicly funded research because you know there were, funds were drying up and accountability was high. So that was what led me to impact actually, a study on cyber learning exemplars and trying to figure out like, what does it mean for anything to have an impact? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And and it's this is what's so fascinating because it has that that question of like how do we know something matters and yeah. how could we tell uh, is just so it's such a huge conundrum. Yeah, <laughs> and mm -hmm. even as a as an IE, I think a lot about like how things work and how do we make it better. And so now we have these two groups where we have. The engineering education community striving to do meaningful things and to make sure that um, students are having the best learning experiences possible. Um, and then you have a federal funding agency or NSF is the only, or at least at the time, federal funding agency that had engineering education as part of its programming. Others may support engineering ed, but they have specific programs for engineering ed. So it was even more critical for me to think about engineering ed at NSF um, and the impact of engineering education research. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. We all know that downloads themselves are just, you know, mm. it's nice to say you've got, yes. say for a MOOC, you might say that you have 200,000 people yeah. that have logged on, but mm-hmm. what have they and learned? And, that's right. And yes, yes. And then I also I see myself as a as a mixed methods researcher. So I think that there's room for both the quant and the qual. And sometimes the quant and the impact space can be a little hollow. Mm -hmm. So I really like to pair it with um, either impact stories or some some other way to be able to kind of tell a more rounded picture Mm -hmm. of what's happening. Yeah. So you got really interested in in this work uh, during your internship at NSF and have continued with it. Mm. Um, So what we want to really focus on today, I think, is what have you learned? And Mm. also, what was the process of really delving into something that's so huge Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) amorphous and kind of how you kept yourself going? So let's talk a little bit first maybe about... How did your work develop? What have you learned so far? Mm. Um, where are some new new directions that you're sure. going? Okay, and feel free to stop me at any time. And I will do that. Jump in, yeah. So as I started to get into this topic, I started to realize that impact was a really familiar term. Um, it's one that we use quite often, even just in our everyday language. Um, in terms of top research topics, impact is probably one that probably shows up as a as a in our everyday vernacular. Um, but as I started to delve into it, I realized that there wasn't as much scholarship on impact. Um, And so then I started to realize, you know, why that was the case. So I started to look at what makes studying impact so difficult and um, realized that it was very value laden. And it's a, it's a discussion on like, what is, what is something worth? And discussions on worth are always really tough um, to have. And so first I had to figure out under, or begin to understand the impact terrain or at least the groups of folks that were talking about impact because again we we use the term in our in the in the, in the engineering air community and in even in the impact community um, but I realized that different people meant different things and so one of part of my journey was starting to parse out some of the different groups and some of the ways that people think about impact so one thing I've learned is I begin to think about them in three major groups and it's helpful when I'm having conversations with people when they use the word impact for me to figure out what um, what do they mean because all of them have different motivations and implications and uh, priorities each of these groups and so in terms of the areas I think about like one group is really focused on like the production or the spread of ideas and not just any idea but ideas that add value so innovative ideas so that's one group um, or trying to figure out the source of an innovation like how did a Khan Academy become a Khan Academy? Trying to trace it back, right? Um, so how do ideas, innovative ideas, or how were they produced and how, how do they spread? Um, and that was particularly important, especially at a funding agency, because you want the biggest bang for your buck. So you want things to last beyond the life of a grant, for example. But then there's this other group that is focused on the like the scholarship of translating research to practice. So we may have some meaningful idea, but how does that... Um, get translated or uh, adapted 
for our everyday context or some practical use. So that's a different group um, that thinks about impact. Um, and then the last is different scholarship that tries to evaluate effectiveness or worth. So oftentimes that's in the evaluation community um, where they're trying to see like I had these goals and I did these things and did it work? Was it effective at what? Did I have the impact that I was going for? So those are usually the three kind of groups when I think about impact. And so that was one of my first kind of um, epiphanies was to realize that impact is a word that's commonly used and that different groups mean different things. And so whenever people use the term, I usually have to pause and try to see. And sometimes there's some overlap. Um, sometimes as a field, like we tend to focus a lot on dissemination and propagating ideas um, or like strategies for changing something. So those are kind in the production and spread of ideas kind of space or when you think about um, P&T committees they talk a lot about indexes and other types of citation counts that's really in the evaluating worth kind of camp and so again it's a term we use a lot um, and starting to realize that there's different people on this terrain was one of my first epiphanies um, so, so then can, I started yeah sure can I ask so yeah. Being able to see that this whole amorphous thing is categorized into several ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're an industrial engineer mm-hmm. in your blood. Yeah, I can't help it. <laughs> yes, yes. And so I know that you do that naturally. Mm. Um, I'm going to tell a story about Abigail. Okay. <laughs> So you have a new daughter who was born in early March, right? February 28th. Yes. February, okay. Yeah, so it's and about so, six weeks ago. Yes, yeah. yes. So this is <laughs> this is now we're recording this in, in mid-April. So yeah, mm-hmm. she's a tiny little six-week-old baby. Yes. And we were chatting, preparing for this, and you heard her cry. <laughs> and you could categorize what kind of cry it was. <laughs> True. And you had an acronym for the different kind of cries. I did, yes. And different things you kind of prepare for when you know you were going to speak to somebody yeah. that, you know, if, yeah. if I can cover that I know she's fed, fed and dry, and dry, yes. And warm. Yep. <laughs> and that's when I really realized, yes, you are an industrial engineer down into your DNA. I can't help it. I can't turn it off. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to behold. <laughs> so given that, I could imagine that you mm. went out into the world and just thought, oh, there are these mm. three, three categories because mm. of the way your mind works. Mm. But was there anything you that helped you to figure out how to categorize? Sure. Categories? Yeah. So that's a good question. So, um... I did have some scaffolding for that one. Um, So I could tell that the evaluation folks who use outcomes and impact a lot, even as part of logic models, it shows up often, was talking about impact in a slightly different way than like program officers and people in the field. So even just from those conversations, I knew something was different about that conversation um, with those two different groups and the things that matter to the groups were not the same. Um, So that kind of started to get me thinking because I knew I didn't want to study evaluation. I wasn't aiming to study evaluation. I just knew that that was one type of impact. Um, But I came across an article um, by 
I think his last name is Brewer, but it's in the Scholarship of Impact uh, Literature. And he's the first that mentioned his word terrain, but didn't quite categorize it. Like over time, I've had to kind of make sense of the groupings in a different way. Um, and so, so between talking to different people, like within a summer or multiple summers, running into different people talking about impact differently, starting was my, my, my first clue that the something about this construct is not the same for everyone. And then realizing that there is one, at least one camp, the evaluation camp that talks about it day in and out, then I can have kind of a baseline to say, okay, it's not that. Like it's, that's one thing that's, I have a set of goals. Here's a set of activities. Here's, did I reach those goals? Once I realized that that was one, that was kind of number three, once I could fix one part of, I guess, of this triangle or this terrain, then I tried to figure out like, how are other people talking about it? I use it as a point of comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then the more I read on the scholarship of impact, like apart from engineering education, I started to see that, okay, there's something going on with this whole H index and metrics and like folks are going crazy trying to come up with ways to quantify the spread of ideas or to trace ideas. So that was a totally different camp than um, the evaluation folks. So at least I had two of them that were kind of clear. The one was that was the least clear, but was the one that the engineering ed field was talking about was like, where do innovative ideas come from? Like, how do, and how do we get it to scale? Like, it took some time to figure out that that was like kind of the third kind of um, point of this triangle. But between my evaluation colleagues and the folks coming up with all kinds of metrics, like it was kind of easy to see two camps, but those, they still wasn't enough. I knew there had to be another one. Mm -hmm. And it's that third camp that I think you are finding most intriguing is that's that right, right. Yeah. where do these ideas come from and that's right yeah it is it is yeah yeah and even the, the the second like how do we once we have innovative ideas how do we make them real like the translation to practice is important to me too yeah. yes yes yeah. um and that's the particularly in engineering education they mm-hmm. people are assured that if folks have say one grant about something that then the entire field will be transformed and yes magically yeah yes. yes so from figuring that out um starting to think about this terrain i started to that started that that caused me to wonder like how are pis or principal investigators talking about impact like if they had an opportunity to do that what do they say because i had to start with like the current conversation in order to think about like what impact are we having. Um, and so my dissertation was focused on exploring the claims that PIs make about the impact of their work um, and what kind of evidence do they use to support it um, as a means, again, to start to think about like what does it mean for resource mm-hmm. to have an impact. Um, and one conundrum was like, where do you find data for that? Like you can't just go up and talk to people and say, okay, hey, talk about the impact of your work. Um, at least you can't do that systematically. You won't get, I wasn't going to get a dissertation for it. So, um, so I had to find a place. Finding data was one dilemma that I faced um, as part of trying to study this problem of impact. Because even though we talk about it in our kind of conversation, it's not documented much. There aren't many places where we document or there isn't a lot of infrastructure 
where we document impact, at least publicly. I know PIs submit um, reports and annual reports and final reports where they're supposed to talk about impact, but those are private. So I wanted to find some other source where people are publicly talking about impact. And I know that we talk about the results of our work, but I was distinguishing results from impact. So now I need to find a place where results and impact are disentangled and um, begin to isolate this this phenomenon. And so um, I ended up doing a content analysis of 150 abstracts. So there happened to be a PI uh, conference that NSF had. Um, and as part of the conference, PIs had to submit abstracts about their work because um, there was going to be a poster presentation. But there was a separate results section and a separate impact section. And it was one of few places where I really saw impact distinguished from results. So I use that as a starting place for because there was no rules or guidelines on what they needed to put in that section. So I wanted to see, like, if given space to talk about impact, what do people say? Um, and so that was the focus of my dissertation, was doing a content analysis of those of that impact section um, of the abstracts. And so another hard part, apart from finding data, was trying to figure out, like, what framework would I use? <laughs> Um, because there aren't a lot of impact frameworks, um, especially not for engineering ed or how do we talk about the impact of federally funded projects. And so um, I decided to go with a framework by a guy named Toolman because um, it was a rhetoric framework and because I wanted to dissect the arguments that people were making or the claims that they were making about the impact of their work. And we can come back um, to that point a little bit later, but those are kind of uh, the methods in the uh, of, of my dissertation. And so I'll tell you a few things that I found and then we can chat about it. Um, so it really confirmed that even though impact is a really a, a familiar term, it, it's really elusive. And there was just a lack of consensus around how people were talking about it and thinking about it and writing about it and when they're given space to do so. Um, and as I started to do my uh, lit review, I started to confirm that studying impact was really tough um, because in terms of the scholarship on impact, like apart from engineering education, there were about uh, 15 to 20 reasons in the literature of why studying impact is difficult. And that was really daunting um, because I was like, why did I choose it? <laughs> if it's already documented that, that there are reasons why it's tough. Um, and so I ended up uh, synthesizing those into three major categories. And um, one I call the attribution problem. The second is an evaluation or assessment and evaluation problem. And the, the third is an interpretation problem. And so I wrote a... Um, paper that got the uh, best paper award at A squared E squared a couple of years ago that is really focused on those three big challenges. So um, so uh, one of my findings was around like what makes this so synthesizing those challenges into those three main areas and realize that our field is the only one that struggles with understanding impact. It's not like we've just kind of overlooked it or we missed the mark. But many fields are wrestling with impact questions. Um, and I think that the medical science community is probably the furthest along um, in terms of figuring out impact. Thank, thank God, right? I mean, we can't, we, we're thankful that the healthcare professionals and people that study um, things related to human life are thinking about impact. So they're yes. the furthest um, in terms of their work on translational science. That, that, that's um, 
related to number number two in terms of integrating research and practice. Some some people may have heard the term uh, bench to bedside type mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. Um, but it's this notion that we're trying to get our science to the to the quality of care, to impact quality of care. So they were the furthest along, and it was actually the most helpful in terms of finding some community um, that is thinking about impact. Um, at least one way that I'm starting to think about it. So that was another um, realization was that we're not alone as a field um, in terms of wrestling with this issue Um, and that the medical science community is probably the furthest along. And so um, I also realized in terms of doing the content analysis that when PIs, um, they may struggle with talking about impact. And so oftentimes they revert to talking about activities in that impact section. So it was a lot of lists of like things that I'm doing or things that I'm publishing. And in some ways it kind of implies that I'm busy. Like the fact that I'm busy means that I'm, I'm making a difference. Even if I, can, if I can't describe to you the difference that I'm making, I'm busy. So that's what showed up the most um, in that, that section um, was different activities and actions that people are doing. Um, even though there was a method section, like there was in the abstract, there was a place to talk about things you're doing. But in the impact section, people were talking about other activities. Um, and so it, it helped me to realize that as a field, we didn't, we didn't really have a shared language for how to talk about impact. Um, and even though we thought it was really important. So um, and then the last thing that I'll talk about in terms of a finding from that was I realized that the scholarship on impact had these two dimensions of the impact of research, which is the type of impact that I'm specifically focused on. Um, And so they talk a lot about scientific impact and societal impact. And so scientific impact is is where we talk about advances in reliable knowledge, whether that's theories or facts or models or methods. Um, And that's usually pretty consistent across disciplines. So that's why you can talk to a a friend that's doing a PhD in a whole nother field. And you can say, you know, what are you working on these days? And they can talk about publications or articles or presentations. That's pretty standard um, across disciplines. But the second um, relates to societal impact. And so that's that's like the question about how does research influence something, um, some national priority, whether it's like public health or environmental concerns or et cetera. But I felt like there was a leap in logic, right? So we go from how does research impact the academic community to how does it impact society? And there was something in the middle that was missing. And so I felt like that the impact of research um, has a contextual element. Um, there's something that's happening in when your research is applied in a particular context. How is um, research influencing either people or priorities or practices or um, policy before we can talk about some aggregate effect at the societal level? And so that was one um, contribution uh, was adding this contextual impact as one of the three dimensions of the impact of research. Um, And so just for the sake of transparency, I'll talk about succinctly how I define impact. So for me, it's a a time-sensitive interpretation of the extent uh, to which incremental or transformative change happens either in or beyond the context in which that change originated. So it's about making a difference, but it's also about making sense of that difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those were some of the key things that I that, that I kind of learned from my from my dissertation work. 
So I've been talking a while. That, yes. Well, I, I, this is just so fascinating because, you know, I'm one of those people that struggle with figuring out what difference my work makes. Sure. And um, in promotion and tenure, they tell you, yeah. okay, great, you did this, but what, what does it matter? Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that we all fear mm-hmm. is that, what we've spent years doing doesn't doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a very intriguing uh, area. And also this is something I want to bring up with you too, is that I think when we look at things like change in practices, Mm -hmm. we tend to feel that it's really a logical thing right (laughs) and that if we can convince someone that a let's say a particular teaching practice to get specific is more effective for learning Uh that of course that's what they'll do yeah and we see that doesn't happen so i know you're you're also realizing that in your work that's right yeah yeah context matters like more than we like to admit. Um, and it would be great if we had, you know, a panacea solution. But I, I mean, I, I appreciate the the messiness of life and realizing that there are things that work in certain places under certain conditions. And sometimes we're not as transparent um, about, you know, what makes things work in different contexts. And sometimes we may, I think sometimes we may have a too high of a bar saying that we'll find the one thing that works all the time everywhere. Um, I don't even know if that should be the goal. Mm-hmm. I don't even think that's the type of impact we should strive for, mm-hmm. but I think we should aim for the most difference that we can make in a context. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you've continued with the impact work and mm-hmm. are thinking about this continually so can you we kind of stopped at your dissertation stuff so Mm -hmm. do you want to go a little farther and what you sure yeah sure so i'll talk specifically about um two projects in which i'm a pi one of them was focused on impact in general and then one is focused on impact in a particular context so for for one um once i realized that as a field we don't have a consistent way to talk about impact. I was starting to think about it. Is there a way that I can um, help our field to have a more sophisticated conversation and understanding of impact and, uh, and to have some sort of shared language specifically around contextual impact um, as, as a field, as we think about um, research and innovations, can we have some consensus of when I say impact, this is kind of what I, what I mean, um, or this is how I'm thinking about it. So that was one. So one project is around developing that shared language. But then also another piece of that project is starting to look at both the current and the ideal relationship between research and practice in this context and starting to think about what what stops us from achieving that ideal. So that was that's one project, which I'll, I can talk about in a second. Um, but then the second is 
to focus specifically on broadening participation. So um, I was looking at this disconnect between research and practice, or at least the absence of impact. Um, and because realizing that broadening participation of underrepresented groups in engineering is something that I feel values. And there's a variety of ways in which we demonstrate their value, um, either through investments or through the way that we um, recruit our students or a variety of things that we do um, in terms of our appreciation of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so there's a lot of scholarship um, around this topic, but yet certain metrics weren't changing, or at least they weren't changing drastically. Uh, so we think about the representation of certain groups in engineering, how it's kind of stagnant or even decline for some groups. And I was just like, what in the world? It's not like we don't have scholarship on this topic and yet it's not playing out or at least some metrics that the metrics that we're focused on aren't changing. It doesn't mean that nothing is happening, but the ones that we're focused on isn't changing. And so I was looking at the absence of impact or at least this disconnect between research and practice um, in the context of broadening participation in engineering and computer science. So I want to look at scholarship that was focused on K-12 undergrad, grad, and the workforce, and did a, a series of systematic literature reviews to figure out what is our state of knowledge on this topic. But then to, in the second phase, to talk to people that are on the ground to say, the research says this, talk to me about reality, react to this, tell me why this isn't playing out. And people explain all kinds of things as to why something may not be feasible, or at least they weren't aware of it, or a variety of things that happen to explain why there's this disconnect in a particular context. And then the last stage of that is to do a, a Delphi study to come up with a, a research agenda, research and practice agenda, saying the research says these things, practitioners react in this way. Where should we go from here? What should we be doing um, in order to move the needle? So that's a project on impact in a particular context. But um, I can probably say the most about that, that first project about mm -hmm. What makes this about this current and ideal relationship and, and why we aren't achieving it? Do you have any thoughts before I get into that? Well, that's fascinating. And I also do want to know what your Delphi participants thought about the way we should go, the direction mm. we should go. So I'm in the midst of the Delphi now, so we'll have to do a part two. Okay. Once I'm, <laughs> once I'm done. Okay. Um, but it's it's fascinating, like to looking at impact in a particular context is is just as interesting as looking at it as a construct in isolation. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll say a bit about some things that I've learned about this this current versus the ideal relationship. And so, so as part of that study, I um, conducted interviews with 27 people in engineering ed. And so um, by people, I mean administrators, tenure track faculty, non-tenure track faculty, people who work at teaching and learning centers and um, advising support. So there was, it's like a variety of people that interact with our students um, and asking them about this. What do they think the current, how would they describe the current relationship between research and practice, the ideal relationship, and then um, how do we get there or, or what causes the disconnect? And so um, among the things that I've learned, here's some key things. One is that we oftentimes use this cycle. There's this like one circle that we use to describe the relationship between research and practice. And it's so simple and elegant and easy to draw. <laughs> I can um, see it in my mind. I know. I mean, when I say it, I mean, it, it, 
I have no problems with folks referencing what I'm what, what I'm talking about, and it's so inaccurate. Um, it's so simplistic, and it, it does not line up. And I think people know that intuitively that it's not that smooth. Um, but one of the findings with the findings was that at a minimum, there's multiple cycles. There's multiple things that happen in the research context and in the practice context, and the ways in which those two overlap is not at one point or one juncture or at one time. Um, so if anything, there's multiple cycles um, and not just a research to practice cycle um, and that the, the connection between the cycles is not always smooth. Um, and so one participant described the relationship as dysfunctional, and I, I totally agree. Um, so the relationship between research and practice is complicated and, and, and doesn't work well. It's, it, it really is dysfunctional. Um, but some of the things that complicate it, though, um, is things related to the research content, um, context, and capability. So I'll say a little bit about those, and then we can chat. Um, so content-related barriers relate to, like, the relevance of what we do. Um, sometimes what we do is not necessarily connected or is not as tightly connected to, to things that happen on the ground. And I'm not saying that everything needs to be driven by that, but some relevance is a big deal in terms of a barrier. Um, but sometimes the things that, uh, the ways in which we present information um, is uh, not quite usable. So there's a usability issue. So sometimes we may study things, but um, people may struggle with how do I use this? Like what, what is the utility of this content? Um, but then the last relates to accessibility. So that's more of an infrastructure type issue. If, um, for example, if research is oftentimes stored behind, you know, paywalls that people may not, may or may not have access to, or they may be indexed in a way that I might not think of. Like I don't think of the keywords that go with, the articles that I might need, or I may not know which authors are studying certain topics. So there's an accessibility issue in terms of the content um, that make it really tough to um, translate research to practice. But then the second is like context-related barriers. So I started to touch on this a bit in that um, one, researchers and practitioners operate in two different silos. Sometimes those two never overlap. Um, and at the same time, researchers and practitioners, uh, they may be the same person. So sometimes I have to wear my hat as an engineering education researcher. And then when I step in the classroom, now I'm a practitioner. And sometimes we don't make the switch in our minds that like, what would I do as a practitioner or what, what types of resources should I rely on? Um, that there might be work that might have implications for how I do what I do. Um, so um, so there's some context-related barriers in that the two groups, like the people, operate in different silos. But often, and sometimes, and there's a lack of communication channels between the groups. The biggest thing that came up um, when we talk about context is um, uh, reward structures. So people talked quite a bit about the role of leadership and reward structures in terms of why they do or do not pursue actions or activities that may lead to a greater impact. Um, specifically in the context of promotion and tenure. And so among my participants, not everyone, but almost everyone talked about this issue. And remember, I listed a variety of roles. So even people that are at teaching and learning centers and advising support, they're aware of how reward structures influence whether people do or do not use scholarship to drive 
what they do. Um, and so that was one of the biggest kind of insights that came from the context related barriers. But the last set of barriers relates to capabilities. So these are um, capacities of the producers of research or the consumers of research. So an example of a capacity related barrier for a producer of research um, relates to how in our PhD programs, we're trained to share our research in a particular way. Um, and we're not, it's not as often that we're trained to produce scholarship or at least translate our work into more digestible formats. So being able to communicate our work um, in a variety of formats is, is a, a capability that not all researchers are trained to do. Or how do we even engage with someone that may be able to benefit from our work? How do I even identify a potential stakeholder or start a conversation with them or maybe ask them about their needs and see if my work has any implications for that. Like that's, that's a whole different set of skills that um, researchers are not oftentimes trained to do. So that's a capacity related issue. And then on the flip side, those that might consume research, again, we talked about being able to find it or even knowing what keywords should I look up or um, once I read it, how do I sift through the jargon or how do I even figure out like which part of this article do I really need to pay attention to or how do I figure out, you know, how do I adapt this for my particular context? So those are capabilities related to the consumers of research, but Collectively, the three of those things, like content, context, and capabilities, create a myriad of challenges in terms of why we do not see research and practice really mutually informing one another and why there's such a dysfunctional relationship. So I have a question. Thinking about my own um, situation right now where we are, uh, you know, forced to have everything be online and yeah. have like a day to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I find is that every day I get these emails, there's a new webinar, there's this, there's this, there's this. Mm-hmm. And I do not find that I even have the energy to think about it. I'm just yes. trying to survive. Yes. Where would you place that situation in your frameworks? Of- yeah, so bandwork, bandwidth came up with the capability. Sometimes people are like, I don't even have the time to stay informed about yes. research that could have implications. Not that I'm not interested, but I don't even, I, I, can't, I, I, I can't imagine trying to add another thing to my plate. So bandwidth would fall under capabilities. The capabilities, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I know I'm experiencing that. Not that Absolutely. I didn't always, but it's real. Yeah, that's right. That's this right. could be fabulous, but mm-hmm. yes, and maybe somebody somewhere has written something that could possibly help me. I don't have time for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can you can imagine that there's something that may be available, but the next step is like when when maybe in the summer i'll think about like if if this continues through fall semester i'll take some time in the summer to find something yeah yeah bandwidth is huge um but that yeah that comes up in capabilities yes yeah so the thing that i like to end with is asking Mm -hmm. people about advice yeah before we do that is Mm -hmm. there anything else you really would like to tell people about your research um, I just want to highlight that sometimes we may find ourselves 
interested in topics that are messy. Um, and so I just want to highlight, I mean, I'm now I'm quite a few years into this whole impact journey, but studying this topic early on was really challenging. Um, and like, again, I had to find data <laughs> um, or find a framework or um, things like that. So I just want to remind people that if they do find themselves um, interested in a topic or area um, that is fascinating, that it may not come without its challenges and realize that sometimes you may look at other folks' work and say, you know, how did Jeremy or whatever start to find impact if if you were only there at the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> so can you give us a few uh, secrets to that? Because that is, that's the advice that I wanted you to mm. give. It's like, the things that are the most fascinating mm. are usually fascinating because they're so bizarre and they're so unknown and so tricky. And it's like, wow, that's so cool. But what is this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess, so you want some advice? Advice around? or advice or even just a little bit about, well, this is, this is how I finally found my way through this. Of mm. what, yeah. what will the data be? Where would it be? What, what framework should I use? Can sure. you say a little bit about that journey? Sure. Um, so um, my master's thesis advisor had a, a, a pithy statement that I still repeat to this day. Um, and he would say, read widely and question deeply. Um, and that was Dr. Barry Caldwell at Purdue. And uh, that is what helped me in the midst of this type of search. So I had to, so thankfully my, my curiosity was intrinsically motivating. Like I, it was enough to keep me, um, keep me at it, keep, to stay with the topic and not abandon it when it, when things got tough, or at least it was difficult to find, um, relevant work you know what do you you have to write a lit review but you're like where do I find the literature who is talking about this um and over time I realized that there were quite a few people um abroad like the largest members of uh, groups of the uh, impact community is abroad um so I realized that most of the scholarship that I was looking for was being conducted by groups in Europe and other places, uh, particularly like with the EU framework for those that may be familiar with that, where they were also thinking about impact. So read widely and question deeply um, is what is helpful for muddling through and keep having conversations. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't study rhetoric, but it was through the conversation with a friend um, about like, well, so I had a, one of my church friends was doing her PhD in English and we were both just fascinated by what one another was doing. She was actually studying the lyrics, um, looking for political undertones, mm -hmm. music produced at a particular time because she loved music. Um, but she was trying to find a way, you know, to merge her passion. She says, I love words and I love music. Um, so she studied lyrics. And so we were talking one day um, and the more I talked about like what I was interested in, she was like, have you thought about like a rhetoric framework? I was like, rhetoric? No. What's that? <laughs> um, and so once I, I was realized, that's how I started to crystallize that I was looking at the claims that people were making. That wasn't always clear to me at the beginning. I started by saying, how are people talking about impact? 
but you can't Google like talking about impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I realized I was trying to evaluate, you know, the claims and how were they supporting those claims, um, then that's when that's when it started to make sense as to why rhetoric would be a aligned decision. So my in terms of muddling through it, I think about reading, continuing to read and question but keep having conversations because you never know where you'll land on something that's promising, whether it's data or a framework or something else. Any last words you would want to give? Because I think that's a, you know, that's a a wonderful piece of advice of just Mm -hmm. keep reading, keep talking to people, right. Mm -hmm. And keep trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess the last thing there's two last nuggets that I'll say is one is, just remember why you're doing what you're doing um, because then sometimes you may need multiple reasons why you're doing what you're doing. It may have started as a internship at NSF and wanted to do well in an internship, but over time I've become fascinated by this construct, this messy construct. And my curiosity will keep me going for a long time. There are questions that I want to answer that even if nobody else wants to listen <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'm curious about it. But secondly, it's helpful to have, it's helpful to have an audience that cares. So your curiosity um, can take you a long way, but just remember your why um, is one piece of advice. Um, But the last is that um, sometimes the quest for something new and something innovative is sometimes at odds with impact. Um, and that's sometimes we are quick to move on to the next thing or the next new thing or the next new project or the next new grant. Um, and we don't really let other ideas give them time to mature, um, and to really let them, um, play out and to see what difference will they make in the long term. So sometimes just give, give yourself permission and time uh, for your ideas to mature. Don't always run to the next new novel, innovative thing. Cause sometimes the quest for novelty and innovation is at odds with impact. Well, that is a wonderful place to stop. Mm. Thank you again for having me. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> In case it's not obvious, I can talk about impact all day. Well, I could listen to it, too. <laughs> but I know your little baby's going to wake up pretty she soon. <laughs> yes, we timed this around nap time. We did this during nap time. <laughs> so we've got kind of a, you know, a yeah. natural break. Yeah. And we will definitely want to do part two. Okay. I'd be more than happy. Yes. yes. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, thank you and stay safe. All right. You too. Research Briefs is produced by the School of Engineering Education at Purdue. Thank you to Patrick Vogt for composing our theme music. A transcript of this podcast can be found by Googling Purdue Engineering Education Podcast. And please check out my blog, ruthstreveler.wordpress.com.